You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have sports podcasting royalty, if I can, uh, if I can <laughs> deign to, uh, to describe our guest is that, Roger Mitchell, founder of Our Backyard. Uh, and Perfect. sports tech uh, investor as well. So could you just give a little bit of a, a very brief overview for the, uh, the few listeners that don't know you, aren't aware of you, haven't seen what you do? Uh, sure. Uh, but first of all, Thomas, thank you for inviting me on. It's, it's a real honor. Um, I followed your work and your organization for a while. And I think you're, you're, you're doing some really good stuff. And to see the past list of, of guests, it's, it's a real honor for me. Um, I, I'm I, I, to, now I work through Albacara, which is like I kind of like the best way to describe it. Think about it as a little sports accelerator, where um, we are a small company, uh, so we work with uh, maybe a handful of startups at any one time, where we take uh, investments, but we work very actively with the founders. So we're not angels, um, just on the sidelines. We're day-to-day uh, working with founders, helping them in all aspects from strategy, business dev, fundraising. Um, so uh, that's the core of Alba Chiara. Obviously, we get asked to do some consultancy stuff in the world of sport and media, um, both sides, buy side, sell side. Um, and we also have got a little small executive education business, which is all about getting people ready for this new world that we're living in now. So it's a small lifestyle company. It's based in Como, uh, but I think we're involved with some very interesting startups and sport tech. Yeah, great. Well, let's um, let's dive into that because um, you obviously see a lot of, of different startups in terms of your personal background across finance and, and sports administration and everything else. So We'll have a link to your LinkedIn so people can look into that if they want to more. But where do you see where do you see this industry going? So both of us shared on the Sports Pro Media um, sports tre- sports tech trends to watch for twenty twenty two. Where's your kind of thesis? Where are we Where are we heading? Um, yeah, I, I can't remember what I said in that. <laughs> in that it seems a long, long time ago in this crazy world we live in. But so I'm just going to give it to you you know, as I'm feeling it on, uh, you know, the 8th of April. Uh, I think there's a couple of big macro trends and then there's smaller kind of like micro subsector and, 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 and company trends. I think the most interesting things for investors, uh, for people that follow this sector and the micro trends. In, in my view, um, there's a couple of ones that we should talk about. Um, the, the first one I, I think um, most people will be familiar with uh, is uh, all of us having to ask the question, does sport for the younger audience still hold the same predominant position of recreational entertainment that it did 20, 30 years ago? And in my case, 40 years ago when I was um, a teenager. Um, I think for the first time, there is an existential threat that kids can look at sport as a nice to have instead of a must have. That um, I think that is underestimated as a as a risk to the sports industry, uh, and of course from that flows all different kinds of, of, of implications, from how you create content, how you deliver business models, um, how you do the the formats from sports themselves. 
We've seen all of these changing in the last 18 months, and that's going to do nothing but continue for the reason I said. I think sport is on the back foot, fighting for attention that it once easily could take for granted. Yeah. The second thing I would say, the second thing I would say is that um because of this, also, but in general, we are seeing the blurring of the, the silos of the players and the sports ecosystem. Once upon a time, there was broadcasters, there were e-commerce companies, there were betting companies, there were the data people in the middle. Um, if one looks closely now, um, all of them are on mission creep. You know, if you look at somebody like Genius, uh, who very clearly is now saying that it's moving into content and, and beyond just watching bet, uh, content, they're, they're looking at a wider video play. Um, they, that was, uh, uh, just the, the, the Pixelot um, deal that was announced recently. So Pixelot, the Israeli AI um, uh, camera system. So they automatically uh, capture and then can produce content. And then Genius did a partnership um, around, around the world to basically partner around that and use that content um just a bit of background for that that context but well actually that's great background and it's, it's an assist for me because um we actually did that deal at albacara and um, we've been advising pixel up for about four or five years um and um we always said that the main way to get into all these leagues was to go on the back of what the, the data lads were doing Genius, uh, IMG Arena, Sports uh, Stats Perform, uh, Radar. Uh, so I, I can tell you from the inside how much what you're seeing is correct. Uh, people like Genius are not staying in their lane anymore. Not, neither should they, and neither are, are any of their, their data colleagues, if I can put them that way. Then you look at somebody like Fanatics. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Great yeah, example. Well, Fanatics, you know, on passant just uh, knocks tops for six with, you know, an uppercut combination and then picks them up off the floor. So, you know, they, they've pretty much taken the collectibles market there. Um, they, they're not going to stop there. I think they've actively said they're going to move into content. Um, they probably in some shape or form will be um, going to rights holders, offering them some kind of platform that um, is, is going to obviously show the footage, show the, the video, but be be linked to everything that we know needs to, to be linked to now. Um, same with the betting companies, you know, that have moved into content with the acquisition of things like bar, uh, uh, Barstool and, and, and that kind of like content play. Um, all, all of these things very clearly, Thomas, are moving into, the, you know, the, the macro trend, which is this one, I believe. And, and, and you know, if you say something like, the media sector and the fortunes of the media sector dictate sport, which has been the case for 30 years, easily been the case for 30 years. Uh, you can talk about a million different things, sponsorship, merchandising, everything. It's the media sector, the growth of pay TV, the growth of regional sports networks, and now the streaming wars. And, and then I could even add in the blockchain wars now. Um, media dictates sport. Um, that model of you selling a subscription to somebody, a cable fee, uh, whatever it is, I believe that that is fundamentally threatened now. Not for the reason that everybody kind of says and cut the cut, piracy. I, I come from the music industry that, that saw what happened there. Um, I look at the younger kids now 
And with horror, because I've always worked on the right side, really, with horror, I see how easily they can get access to feeds, access to subscriptions, you can throw in the Athletic there, you can throw in the zone there. Um, you know, so I believe we are about to enter a world which dictates that you, to make money in sport, have to have a multi-revenue strategy that is not just about a subscription, it's not just about a season ticket, uh, but it includes a play on e-commerce, includes a pay, play on betting, on fantasy, which is a massive trend, massive trend. Uh, and then now, uh, obviously, NFTs and Web3. So um, for both of those reasons, you can see everybody's getting into the same game. It's a it's an eat or be eaten game. It's a world of consolidation. I wrote an article two years ago called "And There Can Only Be One," you know, a play on Highlander, the film, and that's where we are. You know, we are going to see a continuation of consolidation. I mean, everyone likes analogies um, and examples because it just makes things in an easy box and I, I acknowledge that they're they're deeply flawed when trying to do that but we'll try and do one anyway is it is it akin to uh, I guess the the evolution of like Amazon for instance like in terms of the idea of uh, being a bookseller and then becoming a, a, a platform like is that really where fanatics for instance um, with the war chest that they've got is that kind of where that they're positioning themselves in the sports ecosystem are we are we seeing the emergence of of the fangs for sports and obviously those the traditional big tech um, is getting more involved in sports, but is that, is that what's happening? Is that the maturity in the market also means the consolidation into these, you know, three, four big, big players. It's a great analogy. Uh, the, the, th the, the thing I would say about it though, is I think the term fangs is, is becoming superseded because we've seen over these years, that each of these companies has had a different approach to, to, to sport. Um, and Amazon has been the only one really that is using sport for its core business. Its core yeah. business is, is, is prime. And, and I'm not talking uh, prime video. I'm talking Amazon prime, buy everything through, through them. Uh, I think your analogy is spot on. I think the major, the major candidate to do that in sport um, is fanatics. Um, the other side of the world, you've got people like Rakuten who are doing the same thing. Um, but I, that, that's it. It's like sport, come for sport, uh, stay for everything else. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, sport was used to sell a cable bundle, come for sport, watch uh, friends type thing. It's now come for sport and buy your summer holiday with us. Um, buy your merchandise with us. Do you want to bet with us? Do you want to play fantasy with us? Um, do you want to put your, put your toe in the water on NFTs? So I think an analogy is a very strong one. And, and I believe Fanatics is the company to look out at. So that, so that where it's, it's getting someone onto your owned and operated platform and they just the user just lives there, that's a, that's a walled garden. I mean, that is very the antithesis of the last point you said, which is Web3. Um, you know, this emergence of, of basically the new open interoperable internet and, and uh, a lot of lofty ambitions, I would say, um, and maybe some ideological viewpoints that, that are pushed with that. But the reality of that we haven't seen. We're just kind of bumping into the edges. How do those two things gel together? If we're entering this consolidation, but at the same time where technology is taking us and the capabilities is trying to push to more openness. Um, that, that, that is an outstanding question. 
Um, the, the the best answer I have got for that, because, you, you know, we, we did on our podcast, we are doing a, a Web3 series and it's going down very well and people are, are responding to it really well. And, and one of the main themes is um, the new lads and boys and girls will say, Web 2 was walled garden. It was deeply disappointing given the promise it had. Um, it became very much a walled garden and Web 3 is open and isn't it going to be great? And then you say, well, you know, is that really true? Because, you know, business ultimately always tends to consolidate. It yeah. tends to monopoly in general. You know, if you look at the major um, volumes of NFE tra trading on the, on the, on the marketplaces, you know, OpenSea's got a very dominant position and I could go through all different elements of the Web3 ecosystem and suggest that there already is a gorilla in one part of that. Um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of Web3 for, for, for many, many reasons. But, you know, even, you know, speaking to you here, I think every time I do that allows me to bring my own thinking into focus I see Web3 much more as a solution for the long tail. You know, um, um, I'm very famous for this phrase, you know, uh, sport is going to po polarise between Hollywood and art house. The Hollywood model is the one we kind of like just mentioned, you know, let's say Fanatics, Amazon, Comfort Sport, get something else. They're only interested in the, the, premium, the premium marquee uh, sport events. So what happens to the long tail? I believe ultimately those are community businesses. Um, community businesses means you need to know the community well, know what they do, uh, appeal to them, give them a say. Uh, DAOs allow you, you to do that, DAOs. Um, the currency um, is obviously very akin to this modern, modern blockchain type uh, ecosystem. And, 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 you know, I think that's where Web3 is ultimately going to end up. It's going to be around communities that may follow smaller sports, smaller teams may play smaller games, use their own currencies for those games. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I see it very much as a, an empowering thing for um, sport. In this case, we're talking about sport that otherwise isn't going to get a bid from the traditional broadcast bidders. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's that it's the problem with talking in generalities because you, I mean, and as soon as you you dive deeper into it, it, it the edges kind of just dissipate and it, it come, becomes yeah. a little bit formless. And, and obviously, the, the premium leagues, as you were saying, um, but then you talk about sports in terms of community engagement and the idea of fans expect a level of service and a level of, of product that they get from Amazon, they get from Spotify, they get from any other kind of technology interaction they have, but at the same, so they, they expect to be treated like a user, like a, you know, uh, but then they want the experience of being a fan, which has some sort of level of uh, authenticity, um, engagement, um, I guess, like hearing your voice, if that makes sense, a sense of ownership as well. So oh, it's, yeah. it's the 100%. battle between those, those two that, um, and especially as you dive deeper into it, it, it becomes, um, yeah, it becomes harder to reconcile those two. Well, well, yeah, like I say, I think it polarizes around the sport itself. I can't see any uh, future, um, near future where something like the NFL uh, needs to kind of like trouble itself too much with, 
with Web3. They will do it because they'll innovate and, exper and experiment, but it's not going to be the main center of its revenue model. Mm. It isn't. You take something like lacrosse, you take, you know, the new formats that are coming out under overtime with Dan Porter. Yep. You take um, the, the PTO, the triathlon organization. You take GP, which is taking the Formula One model into uh, fancy uh, fancy sailing. Um, all of these things are going to welcome Web3 because Web3 really allows a new world of freedom for creators and for people that want to support them. Uh, and, and the idea is community. In community, we're not all the same. It's not like with the Borg and Star Trek. You know, in a community, I can be a creator, you can be a creator, but there can be somebody that's much more passive. But we're, we're, we're equal members of that community and we've got an interest in it going ahead. And that's how I see sport will develop. Uh, and Web3 will be a major, major part of that, I think. Well, taking that, We've, we've kind of set the scene in terms of where we think the industry is going and, and how technology and, and Web3 can kind of integrate with this. What do you think are the areas that are overblown or overhyped or maybe even not necessarily technology, but applications of them? Where, where is the industry getting it wrong? Um, well, a couple of things that I alluded to before. Um, Listen, and all of the things I'm going to comment here um, are all dictated by macro as well. You know, in a world where we no longer may not have uh, as fulsome capital as we had before, in a world where interest rates are no longer basically zero, um, that is going to have an effect on sport. There's just going to be less money and less cheap money able to fund a lot of things that have been funded. Um, so that's in general. Um, a lot of things have run um, as loss-making businesses funded by venture capital um, that I just think at the margins, at the very least, a lot of those businesses won't get funded anymore just because capital is more expensive. Uh, more specifically, um, and, and, and linked to that, you, you take some of these streaming companies. I'm not picking on them, right, but it's the one that comes to mind, Fubo TV. Yep. Um, I just do not think there is any model for that unless they very quickly get into different revenue streams. Now they talk about, um, you know, expanding into the betting market and everything like that. I, don't, I think that is a day late and a dollar shy, in, in, in my opinion. And you can multiply that for a whole lot of players like this. Um, I said in my podcast that I believe the sale of The Athletic to the New York Times was the last chopper out of Saigon for um, subscription businesses like that. Um, so I think this whole world of, you know, just give me a lot of money and I will build up a subscription base, most of whom are on an early promotional uh, offer that really doesn't make any economic sense. I think those are gonna get called out very significantly in the next 12 months. Um, so that would be things that I'm very wary of. And, and you could take that to the highest level with somebody like the zone. Um, I think they've got, it's no coincidence. They bring in a betting guy to, to be their new CEO. They, they can't survive on just, you know, uh, subscriptions for, for sport. Nobody can anymore. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, uh, the other thing I would say is that um, under the, the heading tech always disintermediates. Um, I'm pretty bearish on a lot of the legacy agencies that are around in sport, big and small, um, 
tech gives you transparency. It gives you the ability to cut out the middleman. Um, and, and a lot of these agencies are totally underskilled in terms of Web3, in terms of what, what I talked about earlier, you know, things, even basic things like, you know, play to earn concepts and how you market around that. They're just, they don't have those skills. And anybody that, they, you know, they try and hire, hire people that have got those skills, they're, they're off, these young smart kids are off in their own agencies. So I wouldn't be buying any big sports agencies at any mm. point in time. Um, I think some of the older streaming platforms, um, the one that obviously comes to mind is Delta 3. Um, I think I think they're struggling. I think they're going to struggle massively because the, the, the new platforms that are coming out are immediately um, built um, bottom-up, normally on uh, gaming engines like um, Real Engine or Unity. They're basically uh, game machines that can stream content rather than streaming content that the, you bolt on other things, which is the old tech stack that, you know, New Line and Delta Trek and all that. I think they're, they're going to struggle, both of these people. Um, I also am a huge fan of this, you know, multi-club strategy in, in soccer, as you say over there. Um, this idea that you can buy these clubs and hope that you can get a re-rating compared to American valuations and find some synergy because you're operating five or six clubs. I, I just think running a, a, a soccer club and any sports franchise is all-consuming. Uh, investors don't normally understand how much that will drag you into the centre of the vortex of living by the day and by the next game day. And, you know, that's hard enough with one franchise. If you're trying to put five or six together and talk about synergies and cross-fertilisation, I think that is the poster child of wishful thinking. So um, I don't, I think these people that are doing that just now, these groups, many of them American, so it's a child of uh, easy capital, Thomas. So that would be another thing that I'm not, I'm not happy about if I was an investor. And also you know, specifically within football, soccer and the American attitude from closed leagues, um, you know, equity across um, media rights deals, stuff like that. It, it just comes from, obviously they're all aware of this, but football, the idea of relegation promotion, um, it, it's very bizarre for an investment that you know could just fall in the sense of, yes, there's the upside, but the other way, these these American leagues, there's, um, I can't remember exactly who it is, but a former NFL owner said that um, privately we're, we're hyper-capitalists, but... Um, uh, you know, publicly we were hyper-capitalists in terms of our, our business, but then when it comes to ownership, we're, we're hyper-communist. Um, the idea of, of the, the NFL or any other American league is a closed system. Um, there's no chance of you, you dropping out of it. Um, everyone gets their fair share of, of the big, big check that comes each year from the media rights deal. Um, and, and we all share and share alike. And, and one of the news at the moment is... Um, is uh, the Washington Commanders owner potentially having held back ticket revenue, uh, underreporting, things like that. And we'll expect to see some, some pretty big news coming out of that, I think, because the other owners, uh, you can do a lot of things, but if you, are, if you don't give them their fair share of the pie, um, I think you'd be on the out. So following on from that multi-club strategy, is that one of those things where technology can some, sometimes get sold in as the panacea for it? 
is that, well, we've got all this and we're going to put in all this new tech and that's going to solve all our problems? Um, or do you think there is a genuine value there for, for that? And, and maybe specifically talk to injury prevention. Yeah, well, yeah, I know you're, you're taking me towards speaking about the companies I'm specifically involved in, and I'll do that. It's not my style to be like, you know, pushing them, you know, on podcasts. Um, I'll get on to that. But what, what, what I would say about your previous comment, again, is it's incredibly insightful. Um, I, I would put it um, as a corporate financier that I am, I would put it in this ter the terms here. The idea that leaks are not closed in Europe is such a high level of volatility that it would demand a level of risk discount rate that is not being applied by these investors. They talk about re-rating, um, but the, re rate, the reason that the values in Europe are so low are what you've just said. There is a massive risk of volatility around relegation and promotion. Um, the second thing that gives it the double whammy is that because of that, and because there is no effective salary cap that you have in America, clubs will overspend to avoid relegation or they will overspend to get promoted. So not only do you have that massive discount rate that should be applied for you not being in the, the, the land of milk and honey, um, you're also ruining your operational performance because you have to outspend everything else. American sports sorted that on day one. Close leaks, salary caps, profitable business, whichever way you cut it. Your, your valve is what you pay the players. You mm. leave yourself a margin out there that's the marginality of your business. Europe doesn't think like that. Europe thinks it's running sport. Yeah. It doesn't think sport is a business. And as well, soon also, as you Also, teams have bought um, cash up front can't be, you know, you can't just buy it on, a, on debt, essentially. There, needs, there has to be a the way that you actually enter the market as a team owner, um, it can't be paper value. It's, it's, you've actually got to say, I've got this and a certain amount of it is, is one of the other things I just throw in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, let's, let's go back to what you were saying before. What, why, how do investors look at making a return? Um, no, there's basically two or three ways of doing it. Um, the first one is what you just talked about there, which is what I would call financial um, engineering. Um, if you buy something for a thousand and you pay um, 800 in debt, you have got leverage. That means that you can get outsized returns. Um, the use of leverage and debt is the first thing. Fine, fine. The Glazers bought Man United like that. Fine. No issue. If you get away with it, no issue. The second one is um, efficiencies. Um, and extra revenues, which alludes to what you're saying before, both sides. Better top-line revenues um, and um, something that a lot of people don't do but should is addressing the cost, the massive cost of injuries that, that every sports organisation has. It's never a, a KPI, but if you look at any uh, English Premiership team and the, the amount of lost man days every year, they have of people on the on the treatment table, the numbers in the tens of millions of, of, of sterling. Huge number. Anybody that can touch that is, is, is going to make a successful thing. There's 
yes, there's lots of ways to increase revenue on the on the commercial side. You know, Horizon, who I work with, it does it when, with uh, monetizing. You know, you know, social media posts that just aren't monetized just now. Very nice, very successful. Very, you know, very 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 good. Um, Zone Seven does it on the injury side, um, as 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 you you were alluding to. Um, there's many things you can do at the edges of you know improving sport, but I really don't believe that should be the reason for you buying an American sports franchise because the the, the bigger macro issues are big are are more costly. Like I said before, re- uh, relegation, no salary cap. Dreadful governance, of often very much political, um, and, and, and and you know no concept that um, an investor should make a return. Most fans of sport in Europe, the idea that the owner gets a dividend out, ask the Glazers how that's going down with Man United fans. Mm. In Europe, sport is is a benefactors type, you know, um, philanthropy play, and Americans are coming in with an attitude that is. 180 degrees opposite to that. Which is very interesting because that's what um, collegiate sports is in terms of boosters just giving money hand over fist to support their alma mater um, with the idea that you have influence on the team, but you don't own it. And at the end of the day, it's um, it's there. It's going to continue. It has those traditions. It has that kind of engagement um, with the fan base. It's not something that... Uh, it, in the pro leagues, if you're not in the market you like, well, you up and move. If you don't have a stadium, you threaten to up and move. You try and you know twist the arm of. Uh, oh, of that's the Buffalo Bills, you know. Yeah, that's- yeah. I laughed when they said the reports were like, "Oh, we might move to Austin," and I felt like the ownership had just sat in front of a map of the U.S. and said, "Well, where's the fastest growing city in the U.S.? Oh, Tesla's moving to Austin. Oracle's moving to Austin. No way. There was never any consideration." being a local here and understanding the local sports market that that would ever happen. And you would see, you would see even a dollar of, of the money. And yet, and yet it worked. Yeah. It yeah. Worked. Well, that was, that was why um, Los Angeles for a long time didn't have an NFL team because it was the, it was, you had the carrot and the stick and that was the big stick. Whenever other teams said, you know, give us what I want or what we want in terms of, of keeping our team here, all will go to um, the, largest second largest sports market in the u.s and see you later and then eventually you know uh it, the appeal got too much and san diego charges there and the, the st louis um rams now los angeles rams moved there so that that that's interesting um as well that how that dynamic plays out but you, you see the, you're right and and and, and this is why I, I i sometimes you know listen to all the noise about sport and finance and the arrival of the Americans and the arrival of private equity and, you know, what do you do and how do you make a return and what are the trends and all that kind of stuff. It's, I believe I'm more a macro guy than a micro guy. Um, You know, if you look at the way American sport has set itself up, it's genius, right? In the sense, like I said before, guaranteed profitability with salary caps, no relegation. And then your major cost, CapEx, stadium, you can blackmail your local city to pay for you. It's genius. The, 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 no, no pressure um, for you taking out money because um, everybody in America understands that that's the gig. You, you, you look over in Europe, it, nothing of that is in place. 
And, and, you know, I struggle sometimes to think about why Americans think that the re-rating play, re-rating to what? A completely different scenario. Mm. It's, it's, I find that astonishing, Thomas. Mm. Well, I could, I could talk football finance with you all day, but I, I'm conscious that the name of the podcast is Sports Tech Feed. So let's veer back into the, um, into the tech side. And you mentioned zones sure. there in terms of injury predict, uh, prediction using artificial, artificial intelligence. Um, so that's a really contentious uh, area is, is injury prediction, prevention, nuances between those, those two areas. Is that, can you share a little bit more about that company? Obviously you believe in what they're doing as an, as an investor. Sure. Um, what, what were your views before you came across them and invested in them? And then I guess, seeing behind the curtain in what they're doing um, and then what kind of, what is your view now? And was Okay, that's, that, that is the question to ask. And I can give a very easy answer. Um, and it's indicative of everything I do, investing in sport tech. Um, I, I look at, you know, the competitive landscape around um, and the area of performance and injury prevention um, was dreadfully poorly served by what is called AMS, uh, Athlete Management Systems. There's some players in there, I won't mention their names, but um, they're the major players who promised a very big game uh, over the last five to 10 years and have desperately under-delivered. Um, sport is very unhappy with AMS. You, you can do a survey of, of anybody and that's what they'll tell you. Um, so, I ran into Zone 7, two guys that had nothing to do with sport. These were AI guys who knew the science of big data with machine learning to bring out um, insights. Basically what, and it's completely different, but basically what it is, it's, it's almost neutral to the, the micro realities of the team and the, 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 the situation. It basically says... Um, given all the data that we are seeing on this player coming from multiple sources, GPS, the weight room, biometrics, sleep rings, uh, heart rate, because we don't do wearables, we just ingest everybody else's data output. Mm-hmm. Given the data and, and the algorithm and how we assess it, we've seen this film before. I call Zone 7 that we've seen this film before. In this film... Nine out of 10, this ends in an injury. It's just the manipulation of big data with a sufficiently high data lake that allows you to find connections and correlations that you say, be careful because I think I know how this ends. And that's it. Mm. And it works. It works. So that's, and that's something that, you know, I always reference in discussions of injury prevention performances, um, Sam Robinson. So um, quite a um, well-respected, influential uh, person in the high-performance space, fellow Aussie. Um, and he's got a fantastic Twitter thread about this from a few years back. Um, but then the idea is, well, if that is true, how do you really know that? Because the only way to prove it is to let someone go out and get injured. Well, one of the ways we do it and why we get so much success um, with clubs, by the way, most of whom insist that we can't make public who's, who, that they're working with us, which is bizarre in itself, but fine. Um, 
we go into clubs and we say, give us your data for the last two years and we will do a retro uh, analysis. Don't put the names on it. Just give us player A, player A to player Z, 26 squad. Um, and we will tell you what the system would have showed. And then you compare that to the actual injuries they got. And it's over yeah. 75%. There you go. Um, oh, that's, I mean, that's... You know, somebody that, yeah, because it, it's obviously a black box solution in, in the sense of you can't go in and say, well, this is exactly how we do it. It goes, it, that, is the, that is the secret source, so you can't well, well, that, I mean, to, that. To, but, to, but that's a good way to, to demonstrate that. And I think that's, that is a smart um, sales strategy for companies in this space is, is doing that to show what the value is rather than um, sometimes just a, a, I think, especially in sports tech, because we have this obsession with the big, the big names, the big brand, oh, I'll just get, you know, a, a whoever on my website. Um, so a lot of sports tech companies sell the farm to get a free trial or something like that. The company doesn't value it and you don't get any utility out of it. Whereas this is actually, a, a I guess, a useful um, sales strategy to prove what it is. And then obviously from then on you go, well, you're going to be a paying customer um, going forwards. Yeah, now somebody listening to this who is from the sector will say, why aren't you asking about false positives? Um, it's dead easy to predict all the injuries if you're saying everybody's going to get injured because you're going to pick up everybody. The fact is we do this with very, very few false positives. The idea that we say an injury will happen and it doesn't happen, very rare. The when we say an injury is likely to happen, do something about it, 75% saving on injuries. So the, 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 the franchises that are using us are getting that kind of rate. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, it's not just, you know, black box in the sense you've got to trust us with blind faith. We, we give the, the, the clubs um, a reason. We say, look, this guy's now on a red flag. We think the risk of injury is high. And here is the reason why. And we, 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 we tell them. We tell them what the injury we believe is likely to be. And then the amazing added value is we offer a remedial action to get them out of that red zone, which often isn't just rest. It can be a change in, in training, you know, more sprints, less sprints, uh, less gym work. So it's not just, you know, black and white, do what you want with it. It's, it's an active, and this is true about all of AI, it's an active time saver for the smart human operator. We don't substitute humans. We give them, and that's what I always call, we give them a superpower. It's like Superman, you've got X-ray vision. What you do with it is up to you, but we are giving you X-ray vision. So without giving away uh, Zone 7's entire sales strategy, is it something that it's, it's selling into, I guess, the front office? Is it, obviously, it's the, the performance side, you know, track suits, not, not suits, um, that are actually using this tool. Um, but is it something that when you go have these conversations, would you talk to, a say, a CFO or someone else and go, this is affecting your bottom line. We have a tool. Is it that those kind of discussions? Because I'm always fascinated about that dynamic between on-field, off-field, and the idea that you have performance and business, but performance does affect business and business does affect performance. Listen, I'm not blowing smoke up, but, you know, these questions are superb. Um, the, the thing with sport is this. It's exactly what you said, and, and the, seven, the Zone 7 experience bears this out. Um, sport operates in silos, organizations operate in silos, 
And even within the football, the sports side of an organization, you've got the medical team, different from the first team coaching, different from the performance, different from sports science. You would think they would all work together. It's all silos and often full with a little bit of jealousies and who's got the year of the head coach and who's flavor of the month and who's on an upward spiral and who isn't. We have to manage all of those politics all the time. And we think we do it well because we're not threatening anybody. Everybody should be a winner out of what Zone 7 does. But then you've got the non-sport side, which is the board, which is the person that's signing the check, the CFO, um, where we've got a very strong case. We go to them and say, we say, look, your injury cost last year, public information, um, 100 man days lost in the month of blah, 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 blah. Uh, that cost uh, a significant amount of money. Do you have any interest in reducing that by 70%? They've got no option but to say yes. Um, uh, then, you know, but the, the challenge is, Thomas, if you start with them and you get them to believe you, which we do, Something that's promoted into the sports side of the business from the suits, immediately mm. you get the heels getting dug in saying not invented here. Mm. So the hardest challenge for anybody selling something like what we have is the political maneuverings of within a sports organization. Mm. I think that I think that's a brilliant point. And I think that's something that um why you have balanced uh, I'll kind of take the example out to, to startups and what I look for in startups is a balanced team because if you just have a bunch of very hardcore um, tech people, um, it's that that misunderstanding that just because whatever you have is amazing and, and the coolest thing and whatever else it is doesn't mean that other people see that value. You need someone that can kind of understand the human side, the narrative, um, the, as you said, the, the politics, I guess, and, and balance yeah. those two. Um, between because yeah. that's that's also something that i feel like sports tech is emerging from a little bit but for a long time it felt like i know they're mainly they're the, mainly poor at it yeah uh, thomas i don't know the, what you're the cool the cool like gadget and you go well, where is that value like oh i've got it and it and on both sides i mean that sports performance is, here's another thing that you can measure for and you're like well, why am i measuring for that what's it solving on the the fan engagement side here's another app that we're going to do and so like, well, we've got 10 fan engagement apps do you really expect my, you know, team yeah. of people that are working on this to to engage all that? It doesn't or, or integrate. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. That's how I assess my my investment companies. It's the go to market because, as you rightly say, the cemetery is full of sport tech tombstones that had a wonderful product, mm. and they just don't get any traction. So I go I go to them and say exactly these examples. How are you going to get the sale? Who are you going to approach? Um, how are you going to balance the fact that the other side won't like it or will have resistance? Uh, how are you going to get attention when they are focused on a 48-hour attention span until the next game? How, how do you think you're going to... Sales cycles are super long. How, how are you going... All of that stuff. And nine out of 10 startups that I look at and assess fail in that area. It's all fluff. And, 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 and they often come back almost with something that, you know, or because a lot of them get SaaS models now. So, you know, oh, well, this is the playbook in SaaS and we all've got this, you know, reach out funnel and, you know, the conversion rates and they throw all kinds of percentages at you and all that. And selling into sport isn't a process. It is a human 
old school sales technique where you need salespeople that have got high levels of EQ that know when to shut up, know when to be aggressive and change that even within the same meeting in the same organization. And that's the hard thing. Yeah. Well, that's a that's probably a great um, great kind of tidbit to, to end on and, and some really good advice for, for sports tech companies, big and small out there. So before we let you go and, and thank you so much for your time, it's been a really engaging conversation and, and I feel pretty spoiled that I get to do this. Um, but your, your final question is, what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Oh, goodness. Uh, um, uh, goodness me. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, I, I, you know, you can see ones that you saw on the TV or ones you saw live, one that means very, very, uh, something very important to you or something that is so dramatically important that, that everybody needs to feel it. Um, I, I would say, um, uh, I, I would say, I would say the 1982, the 1982 World Cup quarterfinal Brazil, Italy. Yeah. Um, Italy won that game three two. Uh, it won't mean very much to a lot of your listeners, and it won't mean it mean very much to people on my side of the ocean because it's a long time ago. But um, that was the sporting um, event that I watched live that has left the most emotional um, uh, tracks uh, in my soul, I would say. Where was it played? Barcelona. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been that would have been something else. Yeah, it's on YouTube. You can look at it. Um, the Underdogs one, which is obviously many of the, the, the cases that the, the, the events that you're alluding to here, it's usually the Underdogs winning. Um, Brazil was considered the greatest team of all time. Italy needed to win the game. A draw wasn't enough, and they won. Um, so that was it. That would be it, my friend. Great. We'll win on that note. Roger Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. Um, looking forward to, to following uh, you and in terms of your investments and, and um, Alabachara and also uh, the podcast as well. Are you not entertained? So I would encourage people to look that up. Um, once you've done listen to every single sports tech feed episode, then you know you can start on um, start on that, and especially that uh, the kind of Web three series that you're doing, um, which I think we're two of the three have been released. Is that correct? No, but we've done three. Uh, I'm going to do the fourth. Okay, three, three, and then fourth. Yeah, great. So, so also pertinent for some of the discussions that we had today. So, um, can look up that on all podcast platforms. And thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, young man. That was excellent questions. Really, really good. Well done.